Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio, 103.1 FM, 910, 980 AM, or anywhere on the Odyssey app. 38 degrees here. It says mostly cloudy. I'll take its word for it at 411 here at WILK on this Tuesday, February 13th, 2024. Like every Tuesday, we talk to Tommy. Tuesdays with Tommy Marquez. He's our Navy veteran who was a senior staffer in Congress for many years served our country, and now he helps our veterans get the benefits that they've earned and the perks that are out there for them. Tommy, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me, Rob. So what do we got on the, on, uh, on the agenda for today? Well, what I want to talk about is I'm constantly looking at benefits and informing individuals, but I still want improvement with a lot of benefits. There's a lot of benefits that I talk to veterans on my social media page or on your show. They reach out to me or we're just in talking with veterans out in town. They say, hey, like these are problems. And so what I try to do uh, is, you know, give my recommendations on improvements to those benefits. So if it's all right with you, I'd like to give my top five benefits that need to be improved. And then I want to tell everybody how we can work to improve them and make this happen. Well, you're the expert. So I'm always it's always all right with me. <laughs> Thank you, Rob. All right. So number five, I'm going to say chapter 35. This is a little known benefit uh, called uh, survivors and dependents education assistance, commonly referred to as DEA in VA circles. And it essentially gives surviving spouses and surviving dependents education benefits. Also, it gives veterans who are 100% service connected, disabled, total and permanent. It gives their dependents and spouses so they don't have to die, they, they can still be alive, the veteran that is, and the dependents and the surviving spouses can get education benefits and there's not a time limit. Now where this comes in really handy is if the veteran wants to use their VA GI bill for themselves to improve the quality of their life and then still have a benefit program available to help pay for their children's or spouse's college. Now, the problem with this program is it is just outdated. It's a really, really old program and they essentially give the same benefits of the old Montgomery GI Bill that's been gone away for almost 20 years now. And what they need to do on this program is they need to start providing a tuition payment and a book payment for the dependents and the spouses who receive this benefit. Another thing that they need to do for this program is they need to update their outreach program because it's almost non-existent. And I can tell you that I've met literally hundreds of veterans who were eligible, or their dependents were eligible, I should say, rather, and they didn't even know about this. And so they're missing out on opportunities and getting in debt by sending their kids or their spouse to college when this could be paid for for them. So uh, that's Chapter 35, Dependency Education Assistance. Chap uh, number four is CHAMP VA. The first thing about this program that needs to go away is the horrible acronym. It literally stands for Civilian Health and Medical Program of the Department of Veterans Affairs, CHAMP VA. Boy, you got to give it to the government. They love to make things into acronyms. It's completely unnecessary. It's just healthcare for veterans, uh, dependents, and spouses who are 100% service disabled connected. This is another program that has not received any updates in literally 20 years. So it's underfunded, undermanned, their website is literally older than some of my children. And the process in which this works is essentially a veteran's dependent, who's 100% total and permanent, the dependent and their spouse could go out in town and they have health insurance. 
And they could go to anything that uses uh, TRICARE, any medical facilities that use uh, Medicare. The problem is they pay for it up front in most cases, and then they submit a form and they get reimbursed. You literally, in some cases, have to fax over forms or send it through snail mail. This is ridiculous. Congress needs to refund this program so that they can create an app, make it simple, like everybody else's healthcare insurance. Here in Texas, I use Blue Cross Blue Shield. In California, I had Kaiser. In both of those apps, uh, in, in those two different states, I was able to submit reimbursement forms, find out who was in my uh, network of providers so I could easily find a doctor. None of that exists. They literally give you a book, and let's be honest, by the time the book is printed, the information of network of providers is already out of date. They just need to make an app for this so you can submit reimbursement forms, find out who's in your network, and reimburse people quickly, or just make it where they pay it directly like every other insurance. You give them a card, and it's done, and then if there's a difference, you have to pay that. Number three is VRNE. This is Veterans Readiness and Employment. This is a really good program that allows veterans who have a service-connected disability to go out and get additional education benefits. This is real simple. This program, the process in which you're approved is completely arbitrary on a one-on-one -on -one consultation you have with a counselor. So you can have a counselor who has a bad day and it takes you a year before you get to reapply and get an interview again. That's ridiculous. They need to streamline the uh, process for applicants who are eligible and make it universal. It shouldn't depend on the mood of the uh, person who interviews you that day. Additionally, they also tell people all the time that if you want a master's degree, that they don't provide that as a resource. That's completely false. I've helped dozens of veterans apply for a master's degree program and successfully be approved on the VRE program. There is no actual rule that says that they can't get a master's degree. And then one last thing, they don't emphasize any of the technical programs that are out there. So carpenters union, elevators union, law enforcement academies, all these things that they can be reaching out to veterans and telling them, if you have a service-connected disability, we can pay for even more things in your education with those skilled trade labor uh, jobs because a lot of veterans just don't want to go to college. And that's okay. It's not for everyone. All right, number two is kind of a tricky one. It's property tax exemptions. Um, I'll tell you really quickly that this is not a VA program. This varies from state to state. So in the state of Pennsylvania, for instance, if a veteran is 100% service-connected disabled and it's total and permanent, in many cases, if they meet the criteria, they waive their property taxes on their home. And this is only for one home, and they have to live in that domicile. Now, that's great in Pennsylvania. Uh, a lot of other states don't do this at all, though. They give a reduction. It's maybe a couple hundred dollars or $1,000 like in California. But there is some individuals in Pennsylvania who are looking to expand this program and essentially making it percentage for percentage. So if you have a 10% service-connected disability, 10% of your property taxes get reduced. If it's 30, you get 30% reproduced, 50, 50%. And if it's 70, 70%. And obviously 100, 100% is waived, which already exists. But it's all different in every different state. They need to make this universal. The states, come on, if somebody's 100% service-connected disabled or if they have a purple heart or they've lost a limb, Let's waive their property taxes. Come on, this is simple. And the last one is the VA tort process. Most people don't even know about this. This is when VA healthcare facilities and a VA doctor 
do something wrong to a veteran while they're getting treatment or a surgery or care at a VA medical facility. And it's essentially the way you could kind of, quote, unquote, sue the VA for malpractice. The problem is most veterans don't even know this exists. There's almost no information on this whatsoever. You literally have to look up coded federal regulation or this very obscure site on the VA's Office of uh, Inspector General that explains what the process is. Also, there's no communication. You mail in the form to the VA. They don't respond to you for a year later. And in that time frame, they tell you, okay, we're going to accept your case or we're not going to accept your case. That's ridiculous. There's no guarantee that they've even received any of your information. What they need to do is, again, they need to have an online portal where you could submit your claim against the VA for malpractice. And on that, they should be able to verify that your claim has been uh, received. That's a simple, simple thing. We do this for like everything else. It could be done very simply. But the VA, I think on this scenario, they do this on purpose so that veterans lie in limbo and give up and don't sue the VA for malpractice. And I know some people are gonna say, well, hey, you know, it'll be too litigious. They'll sue for everything. I understand that and I get it. But let's be honest, we've seen horror cases come out of the VA and I've actually seen where veterans should have definitely have received some money, but because of this hard process, they were ineligible to receive funds. It's one thing to get denied if you look to an arbitrator and they say, hey, your injuries weren't all that bad or whatever it may be, or you're just being litigious. But it's another thing for a veteran to lose out on this process simply because the process is too hard for them to navigate through. That is a tragedy and it should be changed. Now, real quick, I'll just tell you, we got to just do more than me posting videos on this and putting it on my social media page and talking to veterans. What we need to do is everyone should be contacting their senators. Everyone should be contacting their member of Congress if they care about these things for veterans. And veterans themselves need to be contacting their Congress, uh, their member of Congress and their senators and telling them, here is a list of things that need to be improved at the VA. And I want to know what you're doing to make these things happen. If enough veterans do that, that's how we affect change, by reaching out to our legislators, whether you like them or not, and holding them accountable and telling them not just your complaints, but the solutions and the needs, and ask them point blank, what are you going to do to help get this done? That's what I'd like to see done, and I, I'm happy to, to tell you that I'm, I'm premiering this video tonight on my social media, but I'm first announcing this here. And I'm doing that on your show, Rob, because I actually get so much communication every time I do your show. Uh, and I'm always getting uh, reached out on my emails, phone, my social media. Everyone comes to me and says, hey, I heard you on Rob's show, and I wanted to ask you some more questions. So I find your show as being a really effective way of getting these messages out. So that's why I wanted to premiere it here. And as we're speaking, I'm getting text messages now. I'm 100%. I'm 100% with a purple heart. Can this individual direct me how to get my taxes exempt? Does he have a website? Can I message him on? Uh, I do well, but a lot of uh, a lot of it is overtime forced, and there's a dollar amount that's exempt you. Absolutely. So the easiest thing to get a hold of me is to go on any of the social media pages. So it's Facebook, Instagram. TikTok, I'm, that's my biggest uh, resource. LinkedIn, my handle's the same on each of them, at Tommy Marquez Consulting. Rob always puts links out to these things as well. Uh, this video will premiere tonight with some of this information, but I'll tell you what, 
I'm going to do a video this coming up week specific to how you could do it in Pennsylvania. I have done this uh, for California and for Texas. So I will do one video on all the rules for Pennsylvania for getting the tax exemption. And I'll do another video on the forms and all the information necessary to walk you through that process. And this is all for free. And that's all I do on my social media. I just put out information to help veterans and their families and their dependents uh, to get discounts, deals, resources, facts, and information out there so that they can better improve the quality of their lives and their families. And I also just sent that texter the official Pennsylvania government website for the Department of Military wow. and Veterans Affairs for real estate tax exemptions. So I forwarded you that uh, listener as well. So you have that direct link there. Uh, awesome. Tommy, I'll also send you this link so you have the direct Pennsylvania link so you don't have to go searching uh, for I it. I just Googled I, it, and I got it up here. Yeah, okay. I'm gonna, I'll do a video on it. Yeah. There you go. All right, Tommy, I appreciate all the information today. It looks like we're already helping people. All right, thanks, Rob. Thank you, my friend. It's uh, 424 here at WIK. Time for traffic and weather. And thanks a lot, Rob, I think, if he puts my mic on. <laughs> um, looks like we have heavy traffic on North Main Avenue in Taylor. That is near Davis Street. You can expect some slight delays there. Also very heavy traffic on Jefferson Avenue in Scranton. But as far as 8180, 380, and 476, the PA Turnpike go, they are problem-free. Whenever you see a traffic problem, call our jam line, 570-883-7269. From the WILK Traffic Center, Nikki Stone with this Penteladata Internet Traffic Update. Thank you, Nikki. Here's the Storm Tracker 16 forecast from Chief Meteorologist Kurt Aaron. Tonight, breezy and colder, low 24. Wednesday, partly sunny, breezy and cold, high 35. Wednesday night, breezy and colder, low 20. Thursday, increasing clouds with snow Thursday evening, high 37. Friday, morning snow showers, breezy in the afternoon, high 38. Saturday, breezy and frigid with snow showers, high 30. Sunday, a few flakes are possible, high 33. It's currently 37 degrees and mostly cloudy here at 425. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. This Tuesday, February 13th, 2024. Uh, well, They've, the New York City police have started to get into this New York City migrant moped gang, and the ringleader is making some chilling admissions about the crime network. I'm basically telling the police, I didn't think you'd ever catch me, and it's much bigger than me. Uh, the migrant moped gangs terrorize the Big Apple are part of an illicit network of hoods peddling stolen goods from the five boroughs and into Florida. Shipping the proceeds to South America, law enforcement sources are saying. It's much bigger than me, accused migrant ringleader Franco Alexander Peraza Neves, allegedly told NYPD after getting nabbed for a string of local heists. In a million years, I never thought you'd catch me, Neves, 30, allegedly told detectives. I've been going to Miami every three weeks. It's much bigger than me. The Venezuelan migrant is allegedly part of a crew that has been linked to robberies throughout New York City, Yonkers, New Jersey, and Florida, and tied to an illegal gun used in Fort Lauderdale heist in December 9th, the sources said. The same gun was used in a $279,000 robbery at Solid Gold Jewelry in Manhattan on November 22nd. Nevas has and his alleged accomplices are suspected in other Big Apple incidents, including a shootout with another crew in the Bronx, November 18th, a Bergen County, New Jersey robbery that's still under investigation, 
In all, cops pinned two carjackings, six gunpoint robberies or attempted robberies on Navas when he was finally nabbed while allegedly shoplifting at a Macy's department store in Yonkers on December 7th. Now, here's... Here, here's what I'm talking about. He, he was arrested for shoplifting. You know, what they say is just a petty little crime. We shouldn't be arresting people for that. We shouldn't, you know, they just want their bread and milk and, and such like that. You know, here, here's a violent felon, a violent criminal. Hundreds of thousands of dollars in merchandise. A, 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 multina- a multinational ringleader. Going to Florida, Miami every three weeks to spend his ill-gotten rewards, and and enjoy himself during the winter. And he was caught shoplifting in a Macy's. This is why the little crimes matter. This is why you put these people in the system, you fingerprint them, and maybe they would have found out that he was uh, who he was. I mean, that's how they obviously did here. He was arrested in Macy's, but they knew who he was. Now, if they just would have wrote him a ticket and moved on, that would have been the end of it. But it's not. We're going to have a little more on this later in the show as well, this whole big ringleader and what's going on with it. It's 4.32 here at WILK. We'll be back after the news with Nancy Kamen, who's in for Paul Michaels. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. It's the point of the show where we honor our heroes here at home who made the ultimate sacrifice. And there's heroes all around us, not just law enforcement. All our first responders, our nurses, our teachers, they're all around us. But, you know, I'm being law enforcement. I focus on law enforcement. 68 police officers made the ultimate sacrifice on this day, two of them from here in Pennsylvania. We're going to start off with police officer John Pulowski, Philadelphia Police Department, 2009 on this day, was shot and killed after responding to a dispute between a cab driver and a male. Officer Pulowski and his partner responded to the Logan section of Philadelphia after a cab driver called 911 to report a dispute. During the dispute, the cab driver had told the suspect that he was going to call the police, to which the suspect responded, if you call the police, I'll shoot you plus the police. When the officer arrived, the cab driver pointed out the subject. Officer Pulaski and his partner approached the male who was dressed in a black three-quarter length coat. The suspect had his hands inside his pockets. Officer Pulaski ordered the suspect to show his hands. The suspect did not comply and immediately opened fire with a 357 handgun, shooting through the pocket of his coat. One round struck the officer in his bullet-resistant vest, and the second round struck him in his chest above his vest. Officer Pulowski was able to return fire, striking the suspect once before falling to the ground mortally wounded. Officer Pulowski's partner and a third officer engaged the suspect in a gun battle in which one officer was grazed and the suspect was shot numerous times. Police Officer Sandra Conchita Hulum Griffin, Philadelphia Police Department in 1983. Police Officer Sandra Griffin succumbed to injuries sustained two weeks earlier when her personal vehicle was struck by a van at 71st Street and 71st Street. Uh, she was in full uniform and working a foot patrol assignment at the time of the accident. Officer Gritton was a U.F. Army veteran and had served with the Philadelphia Police Department for one and a half years. She survived by her husband and son. And uh, those are our two uh, from our area here. Got some text messages in, uh, saying little crimes not held accountable lead to bigger crimes. Uh, that, that was the basis. And again, the basis for broken windows policing in New York City was jumping the simple, simple, something as simple as jumping the turnstile. I started off as a New York City transit police officer. Jumping the turnstile is a Class A misdemeanor theft of service. 
and uh, the amount of guns we took off the street, the amount of people with felony warrants, the amount of bank robbers that would rob a bank up the street, come running down into the subway, jump the turnstile. We would arrest them for jumping the turnstile and just found out they robbed a bank up the block. It was common. People who are going to commit crimes, people who are violent felons, don't usually pay then the $1.50 to get on the subway. I don't even know what it is now. But um, it's a proven fact, and that's just the way it is. It's uh, 440 here at WILK. Time for traffic and weather. And thanks a lot, Rob. You know, we have no reports of any accidents coming in. It's looking pretty good. I think it's quiet out there today for the most part. A little bit of tra- a little less traffic because of all the cancellations in schools and college classes. So 81, 83, 84, 76, the PA Turnpike, 84, they are all looking good at the moment. We have a little bit of heavy traffic in Scranton on Jefferson Avenue, as always, and Wilkesbury Boulevard is a bumper to bumper, uh, moving a little slow, but it's moving. Whenever you see a traffic problem, call our jam line 570-883-7269 from the WILK Traffic Center. Nikki Stone with your Pentella Data Internet Traffic Update. Thank you, Nikki. Here's the Storm Tracker 16 forecast from Chief Meteorologist Kurt Aaron. Tonight, breezy and colder, low 24. Wednesday, partly sunny, breezy and cold, high 35. Wednesday night, breezy and colder, low 20. Thursday, increasing clouds with snow. Thursday evening, high 37. Friday morning, snow showers, breezy in the afternoon, high of 38. Saturday, breezy and frigid with snow showers, high of 30. Sunday, a few flakes are possible, high 33. It's currently 38 degrees. Now it's saying mostly sunny outside at 441 at your official weather station, uh, WILK. Well, happy Fat Tuesday. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio, what we're formally calling New Orleans North today. 37 degrees and mostly sunny at 447. I got a special guest. Bring on my go to when it comes to anything New Orleans, my daughter in law, Allie. Allie, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so tell us, uh, you're you're our go-to family expert for everything New Orleans. I've seen the posts from Grant all week about his uh, his his cruise down there and everything that's going on in New Orleans. Tell us a little bit about it. Uh, tell us about the atmosphere down there. Yeah, I mean the atmosphere is just really unreal. It's you know if you've never experienced it, there's no way to really explain it. Um, but you know one thing that I always say is it's not just a day; it's a season. Um, most people are taking down their Christmas decorations, and we're putting up Mardi Gras decorations. So come January 1, it's Mardi Gras season. January 1, that or I was just, you took my thunder there. I was just going to say, it's not just a day or a week, it's a season. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, the Mardi Gras balls start... New Year's Eve, and they run every single weekend until today, Fat Tuesday. And there's all different kind of parades with all different kind of crews down there, and, and it, it's just a celebration day in and day out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the biggest part of it is the Mardi Gras balls. Um, you know, I was a part of a group for three years when I lived in the Gulf Coast region of Mississippi, and it was the most fun that I've ever had. It is a good time. Now, a lot of people just assimilate, you know, Mardi Gras and, and Fat Tuesday with New Orleans. But like you said, the Gulf Port of Mississippi, the whole area down there, it's a whole it's a whole geographical area that celebrates Mardi Gras, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of people don't know this, but 
the first actual Mardi Gras celebration wasn't even in New Orleans. It was in um, Mobile, Alabama. So, yeah, it's not just New Orleans. It's, you know, the full Gulf Coast region, uh, Mississippi, Alabama, and obviously Louisiana. Now, now, one of the biggest things, I know your family sent us uh, one or two of over the times, but the king cake. Give us a little, tell us a little bit about the king cake for people that don't know what that is up here in Pennsylvania. Yeah, so it's, you know, a, a cream cheese filled cake um, with icing and, you know, sprinkles on top. Um, it is definitely one of my favorites. I literally flew back with one um, in January when I came back to Virginia Beach just so that we could have one. Um, it's extremely great, you know, and obviously finding the baby is just the, the icing on the cake, the most exciting thing about it. Now, what's, what's, what is finding the baby? What is the whole baby thing when it comes to a king cake? Yeah, so I think, you know, a lot of people kind of celebrate it differently. But, you know, some people say that it means that person is going to have good luck for the rest of the year. And then what most people say is, you know, if you find the baby, you buy the next king cake. All right. And there was a couple of bakeries up here. I don't know if you saw my Facebook post. There was, there's a couple of bakeries up here in Pennsylvania that were making the king cake and had it for sale for our area up here. So, you know, for the people in northeast Pennsylvania, you could probably find yourself a king cake here locally. Though now they're probably sold out, but you might have a tie. Uh, what else as far as is there any big ending ball or any big event that kind of ends the season for, for Mardi Gras? Um, not necessarily. I think that, you know, the weekend before Fat Tuesday is kind of the biggest weekend. Um, so in New Orleans, they have the Endymion Night Parade and the Endymion Ball. Um, it's the biggest ball in New Orleans. Um, they usually have, you know, celebrities that are there um, and that perform. Um, I got the, you know, ability to go a few years ago, and it was Kiss that headlined and Casey and the Sunshine Band. Um, I think this past year it was Flo Rida and Sting. Um, so it's really just a really big celebration, and it's an indoor parade that they have for the Endymion Ball. And, you know, it also goes to the outside as well. And, again, we're talking to my daughter-in-law, Ali, who's from southern Mississippi and is a, a very – our family expert as far as everything comes to New Orleans. Uh, your favorite bar in New Orleans, Ali, what would that be? Oh, goodness. Um, I love Cat's Meow on Bourbon Street. Um, and I love <laughs> Razoo. Um, it is a classic favorite. My mom and my, my dad actually partied there back in the day as well. So it's funny that, you know, when they were in their 20s, they were at Razoo. And obviously when I was in my 20s, I was still hanging out at Razoo with yeah. my parents. There you go. <laughs> and the best restaurant? Ooh, um, that's a hard one. I really like Brennan's. Um, it's a classic favorite. Um, and then Commander's Palace as well. Emerald used to be the chef there, so it's a very famous one. And, and just to just to put people out there on a little personal note, how important Mardi Gras season is in, in that area to your family, to everyone around there. You basically moved your baby shower around in Mississippi around Mardi Gras, right, to make sure it didn't <laughs> conflict with anything? <laughs> Yeah, we did. Um, the very first thing that my mom looked at was when the Mardi Gras parade was in our hometown. And I I had a lot of FOMO this past weekend from all of their pictures of riding on the floats and everything. There you go. There you go. Well, Ali, I appreciate you joining us today. I know it, I, I haven't get, been able to get Lisa on, Miss Lisa, yet on the show because she's too afraid to come on. Uh, you said you were a little nervous, but you did great. Told us a little bit about New Orleans and what what really happens during Mardi Gras, just, to, just not what we read and see about it on TV. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I fully encourage anyone who's never been to New Orleans or to the Gulf Coast region in, you know, during Mardi Gras time to, to take that trip because it's totally worth it. All right, Allie, thanks for joining me today and giving us all this great information. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Bye-bye. It's uh, 4.53. Again, that's my daughter-in-law, Allie. She's uh, due to have my first grandchild come uh, the end of March, beginning of April. And she's from the southern Mississippi there. New Orleans is a big part of their lives. And uh, the experts, that, that I, the only experts I know from that, that's my go-to when I need to, to do something down there or go down there. She gave us the list of restaurants we had to hit, the rest of bars. And I've never been down there for Mardi Gras, but I've been to New Orleans you know, just to visit. But uh, great advice there. So if you're ever looking for something to do in New Orleans, hit me up and we'll get you some good advice. It's uh, 4.53 here at WILK. We'll be back with the Rob O'Donnell Show in just a minute. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio here on this Tuesday, February 13th, 2024. Fat Tuesday, the culmination of Mardi Gras. It is a season, but today's the day. Um, little update uh, yesterday on the, not yesterday, but from Sunday, we, we broke this, we, uh, we didn't break the story, we told you the story yesterday, but from the shooting at the Joel Olstein's church on uh, Sunday, a uh, little more has come out, nothing more, nothing, nothing drastically changing it. The rifle that was bought, the semi-automatic, you know, AR-style rifle, was purchased legally, and they're looking into that because the individual had an arrest record and a mental health record. So they're looking to see uh, what slipped through the cracks there to allow that to happen. Now, it's easy enough for someone like her to lie on her application form, which is a felony in itself, saying that she does not have or has never been committed for mental health reasons. So it appears she did, she, she did well, she's dead now, so really doesn't matter, but she did commit felonies by lying on that form. But the fact that uh, arrests weren't brought up and the fact that the police put her in for a mandatory evaluation, psychiatric evaluation, didn't uh, come up is uh, is concerning and something that needs to be looked into. Uh, from what I understand, her seven-year-old child is not expected to survive. That's the last I heard. Hopefully that changes. Hopefully that wasn't – that was, a, a you know, the outlook that, that – that, uh, turns out for the better it's tragic that the, the mother would put her own child in a situation like that and bring her and possibly from what i'm gathering use the child as a human shield but you've already seen that because it doesn't fit fall from the radar fall from the media forefront and you know i was looking at that saying how fast you know if, if that was if if instead of a palestine sticker on her on her gun if there was a MAGA sticker or something like that, this would be all over the place. Everybody would be pointing fingers and who to blame who. But here it's just like, oh, you know, my, our bad. It, it goes away. And here's another one that just caught my attention for the same thing. You know, an innocent bystander dead. Five others, including two teens, injured after a shooting inside a Bronx subway station in a scary rush hour scene. An apparent innocent bystander was killed and at least five others, including two teenagers, were injured when gunfire erupted in a subway train pulled into a Bronx station. At least 10 shots were fired. And this is at 4.40 in the afternoon, rush hour, on the 4 train. This is a mass shooting, but you don't see it billed as a mass shooting because you know why? Things like this happen in New York City, Chicago, Baltimore, Philadelphia, uh, St. Louis, Chicago, every day. And it's just, yeah, you know, business as usual. 
let's not try and focus on these things. But, you know, when there's a mass shooting that we can manipulate for political reasons to get an agenda going, you know, we will. And, and I'm sick of it because regardless, shootings are shootings. And let's treat them equally. Let's get real laws, not your so-called common sense laws, where you hold people who shoot people accountable to a maximum, to a mandatory maximum. It's uh, coming up on 5 o'clock here at WILK News Radio.